faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, as Kevin said, my name is Derek, and it is my pleasure to be here. Um, I, I want to send greetings and love and um, grace and peace from um, your brothers and sisters at Third. It's an honor to be with you this morning. Um, as, as, as Sue and I were a, a young couple finishing seminary, moving from Scotland to Charlottesville, Virginia, I can remember how much we longed to buy our first home. We had moved eight times in four years. We lived in three states on two different continents. And I can remember all of the apartments uh, that we ever lived in. Our first apartment was 301 Graham Hall, South Hamilton, Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> yes, that's like. Um, when I was, I was working on a THM at New College at, at the University of Edinburgh, we lived at 12 Buckingham Terrace. That was my favorite apartment that we owned. It was just off the west end of Dean Bridge in downtown Edinburgh. Uh, it was a great place to live for a year. But we moved to Charlottesville. We first lived at Riverbend Apartments in Pantops. And then our final apartment before we owned a home was the, the top floor of a house on Oakhurst Circle just behind Cabell Hall. Now, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I, I, I love the life that we forged together in those early years in those apartments, but we also craved something more as we, as we lived in those apartments. We craved more space, more permanence, more stability, uh, more hospitality, and, and we realized that something was happening. The temporary nature of apartment living exposed a longing uh, deep inside of us for something more, something that could hold more of this life that we were building and loved. Um, my wife, Sue, who is right here, uh, was so confident, um, absolutely confident that God would provide a home for us. Me, uh, not so much. Um, we had some debt. Uh, we were going into full-time ministry within our varsity at UVA. We raised a hundred, uh, the housing market 20 years ago at Charlottesville was as insane as it is in Richmond today. Uh, it, it was just impossible. One of the more uh, disappointing <laughs> Uh, experiences for us for all, but, but my wife was unflappable. She just knew and believed that, that in the future we were going to have a, a home to call our own. In fact, Sue's confidence in that, that future reality was so great that it shaped our present life in, in those apartments. The refrain that I remember when people would leave uh, from dinner was something like this usually. This, this, this doesn't feel like an apartment. This feels like a home. And, and that idea that confidence in a future reality impacts how we live in our present life is, is at the center of 2 Corinthians 5. So Paul starts this passage with a bold assertion. He says this. He says that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, then we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, a house that is eternal and in the heavens. Paul starts by saying every Christian should have confidence in a bodily resurrection. 
confidence in a future bodily resurrection. That's, that's the heart of what this passage is about. And the rest of 2 Corinthians 5 answers this specific question. How does confidence in our future resurrection impact our lives today as a believer? So what? What difference does it make to my life right now? So there's three things that Paul tells us. First, confidence in the future bodily resurrection transforms our desires, our longings. He says two or three different ways that he longs to be clothed with our heavenly, heavenly dwelling. There are two metaphors that Paul uses, two different images. He mixes them. He can do that. He's an apostle. Uh, so he uses two images, one of a house or a dwelling and the other of clothing. And what, what Paul probably had in mind here was the, the tabernacle from the Old Testament, the tent of meeting. And that, that was the place where God would, would dwell with Israel. It was a temporary dwelling. It was portable, but it was the place where they met with the Lord. And they did that from the exodus from Egypt all the way until the conquest of Canaan was completed. Do you have any idea how long that was? How long they tabernacled waiting for a permanent temple to worship? 440 years. That is a long time for people to wait for a spiritual home. So, so what Paul is saying in this passage is this, just as the tabernacle was a temporary dwelling of God and, and the more permanent temple in Jerusalem was coming, so for us as Christians, our mortal bodies, these bodies that we live in, they're temporary and we will long, we will desire for the day when they are replaced by our imperishable spiritual resurrection bodies. Um, so Paul, Paul had some specific things he wanted us to, to, to know about this desire, uh, this longing. First, we, we don't long for resurrection as Christians because we, we want to, uh, because we fear death in any way. That's not the kind of desire that Paul has in mind here. You know, our lives are in these tents. Our physical bodies, they are frail, they're vulnerable, they're temporary. But, he says, we have not been found naked. Right? Our earthly bodies are not going to be destroyed. We still have a spiritual body to call home. And so the Christian desire for the resurrection is not to escape from weakness. It is not to escape from suffering, from frailty, from depression. What's the name of this series? Power and weakness, right? If we, if we long to escape weakness, then, then God's power can't be made manifest can't be put on display in us that's the first thing that he says is that this longing that we have for resurrection it's not because we fear death the second thing he says is that it's it's this longing for resurrection isn't because um, we reject the goodness of our bodies so what, what paul has in mind here is is not some kind of dualism where you know okay my my body's bad the things i do in my body's bad but my spirit, that's good, and heaven, that's good. That's called dualism. It's a, it's a, it's a heresy, and it's, and it's not true. Uh, right? what, what he has in mind here is something even more beautiful. Listen to what he says. He says, we don't desire to be unclothed. What he means is we don't desire to just like reject life in the body or the goodness. of No, actually, we, we long to be fur, further clothed, more clothed. And it's really beautiful. What, he, what he's showing us here is that 
life in our physical bodies as Christians is connected to life in our resurrection bodies. We don't destroy one or reject one to receive the other. There's a, there's a continuity. There's a relationship between them. It's a really beautiful thing. We, to, to, to long for resurrection is not to reject the goodness of our bodies. One of my favorite um, uh, interchanges in the New Testament is, is, is Jesus with Doubting Thomas. And this is after the resurrection. If you remember, uh, Jesus basically says to, to Thomas, if you really want to know who I am, you really want to see, you're going to have to stick your fingers in my wound, in my side. And, and so it's a, it's a beautiful uh, image that, that, that supports what Paul's talking about here. The resurrected Christ still kept the wounds from his earthly life. There's a continuity. They're connected. And so Paul ends this section by saying, the real desire that we have within us is to be swallowed up by life. He says uh, in verse 5, I think, so the, the ultimate goal here is that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Uh, I love that image, swallowed up in life. In the Bible, typically it's death that is the thing that swallows all stuff. So whether it's in uh, Psalm 69, Proverbs 1, 1 Corinthians 15, wherever you look, it's death is the one that is doing the swallowing up. And so what, what, what Paul is saying here is this beautiful thing for Christians, our participation in the resurrection life of Jesus means that we are not swallowed up by death. But instead, this life that has meaning and purpose will be swallowed up in God's own life as well. It turns the, it turns the story of life in the body upside down. Um, you know, I, I think one of the most important parts of, of this, this first uh, five verses is we just have to stop and recognize as Christians that, that this is a, a, uh, a categorical, unashamed affirmation of the human body the goodness of human bodies and, and goodness of life in the body. Your body matters, and the life that you live in the body matters to God. Um, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm just going to speak for myself, but I, I have a complicated, a complicated relationship with my body. Um, most of us do. Most of us don't have a great relationship with our bodies, whether it's how we view it or how we use it. Um, and this results in, in, in our, it makes it hard to, to see our bodies as the good things, the good gifts that God has made them to be, and to receive them like the gifts that they are. And so I, I want us to understand why this is so complicated. Um, one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, has this great line. He says, for good or for ill, whether we like it or not, our bodies are the center of the spiritual life. Our bodies are the center of the spiritual life. They're made good. Our bodies, they work best when they serve life, right? Our bodies are at their best when they're serving life. But the problem for most of us is that um, our bodies actually govern our lives. They don't serve our life, that they govern our life. That means that they become the primary source of gratification, the primary source of our identity, the primary source of our value. And so, um, for some of us, that might be our sexuality. For some of the, it might be our sensuality, our appetites, our food. Um, I have a friend, Greg Fisher, that I meet with every Thursday, and um, he's he's a bit of an adrenaline junkie. 
And, um, and as I was prepared for this sermon, he's like, hey, that's a body issue too. Totally is. Right? We're finding gratification and escape through uh, our bodies. Um, I remember once uh, when I was in Charlottesville, there's this great donut shop called Spud Nuts. Has anyone here ever been to Spud Nuts? Oh, man. It, it shut down. It was like an East Coast thing. People would come from all over to go to Spud Nuts. They were potato donuts. So I was there one morning. And uh, this extremely large man comes in. Um, he's a Baptist pastor. I recognize him from town. And he comes in and he buys 10 boxes of donuts. And um, on the way out, he's about to leave uh, the door. He just turns around to the whole shop. It's like this diner filled with people. And he goes, I just want everybody to know that the Bible says that the body is a temple. I'm just trying to make it a cathedral. That's what he said. <laughs> Isn't that so good? That is not a healthy view of the body that Paul has in mind here. Uh, his appetites, maybe, it got, a, got ahead of him. For some of us, you know, the problem, like our, the complication with our bodies isn't something that we've done. It's stuff that's been done to us. You know, I, I can't help but think about the importance of, of trauma-informed care and what it has taught us over the last couple of decades about life in the body. I mean, think about this. All of us carry the story of our traumas, emotional, spiritual, physical, in our bodies our whole lives. And so here's why our relationship with our bodies is, is, is complicated. If, if we're finding our primary gratification in them, if you're finding our primary worth or our identity in them, then they have become idols for us, right? We, we, we love what we, what we worship. And, and if, if they become idols for us, here's the problem. It, you're going to hate them eventually, right? You love what you, what you worship, you love, right? We love our bodies. But eventually, you're going to end up coming back to hate it because... Because nothing can bear the weight of being God for us except God. That's the problem of idolatry, right? And so we have this love-hate relationship with our bodies, right? We love them, and so we worship them, and they become the places where we define ourselves. And then we begin to hate them because, like functional saviors, they can only function for a little bit of time. And then they fail us. And this is why it makes it so hard for us to receive our bodies as the good gifts that they are. And that's why these first five verses are so important. Because it is an unqualified way that God is telling you, look, I don't care what kind of mess your body has been in, but in Jesus, your body is a good and beautiful thing. And it is destined for glory, not for death, but for glory. And this is the first thing that he tells us, that, that but confidence in that resurrection that is coming can actually transform our desires at their core. The second thing that Paul tells us is that, uh, that a future... Um, Hope in the resurrection transforms our di our disposition. It transforms our disposition. So the text uh, also, I love this. Th this is an honest text, man. Paul talks about he talked. He's really sharing real with the so the sec second uh, the, the the church at Corinth. There's um, two places in this passage where Paul affirms the pain of, of spiritual homelessness, right? the pain of of, of being um, not with the Lord. He says um, twice. At first he says, uh, when we're in the body, we're away from the Lord. What he means by that is, look, I, I, when we're away from the Lord, we are subject to frailty, to death, to pain, to depression. And then he also says, look, I'll just be honest, I would rather be with the Lord. <laughs> He's like being very clear. It's interesting. Some commentators about this passage, 
um, have wondered if Paul is uh, suicidal or depressed. But my favorite quote that I read was this. What we find in this passage is Paul's soul-bearing honesty about hope. Isn't that great? Soul-bearing honesty about hope. Even though he is away from the Lord, even though he would rather be bodily with the Lord, Paul does not lose hope. Twice in our passage, he says, we are of good courage. And so his disposition is not despair. His disposition is hope. There are two, two little things he, in one sentence, he, he, he shares two things. Why does he have hope? Why does he keep good courage in the midst of his frailty, in the midst of, of, of longing for the Lord but not being with him? The first is because of God's plan. He says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God himself. And so there is this sovereign and providential intimacy, love. God himself has prepared you and I for this very thing, this this life in our physical bodies, this life of longing for resurrection bodies to come. He hasn't left us on on our own, but he is with us. He is close to us and he loves us. And the second is his promise. He says that he gives us the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Um, that word guarantee uh, in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, is uh, it's economic language from that time. But, but, but today, the same Greek word is used for engagement. Right? So it's, it carries in it this idea that um, the Spirit of God inside you as a Christian, it's a pledge, it's a guarantee that this resurrection life that's been promised that you long for will actually come. Right? It's the it's the deposit. It's the first fruit. It's the it's the the reason that you can. And both of these together, the fact that God is loving and is sovereign, and the fact that God has given us His Spirit as a guarantee that that we will experience resurrection life, together give Paul good courage. They 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 change his disposition. They give him hope. So the first two are right. God through the uh, confidence in the resurrection body that is to come, can transform our desires, can also transform our disposition. And the final thing that we see Paul talking about here is that confidence in our future bodily resurrection can transform our devotion. It can change even the most fundamental aspect of Christian practice, our worship. He says in verse 9, almost like time and place don't really matter. (laughs) It's like, regardless of when we find ourselves at home with the Lord or away, the purpose of life in your body will always be for all time to glorify God. It's our aim to please him in our bodies. So for for, for the Christian, life in the body is not um, a glory that is deferred to some future time. This is some of the mystery and the beauty of, of life in Christ. For the Christian, it's not glory deferred. It's glory that we get to start to experience here and now. In fact, this life um, that we live in these bodies is so important. It matters so much that Paul ends this passage by uh, invoking the judgment seat of Christ. The image of the judgment day. And he says this, each one of us, every one of us, will receive what we are due for the deeds done in the body. 
whether good or evil. So in, um, you know, in, in Rome, a, a governor would, uh, would sit at a central area at, at a judgment seat, and that's where he would hear cases that people would come and bring before him. And so what, what Paul is saying is that one day, just like that, every child of God will give a full account of what they have done in their bodies. This is getting a little intense, by the way. I mean, you know this, but this, this, is, this is the part of the passage where I was like, are you sure? I don't know if I want to preach this, Kevin. I don't know if I want to preach this passage. One day, every child of God will give full account of what we've done in the body. So everything you've done in the tent of this life is going to be evaluated, not for your salvation, not for your destiny. That's not on the table. You are hid with Christ in God. Nothing can change that. But it will be to evaluate our works. And, um, and this, this, is, this is sobering to Paul. I mean, Paul took this seriously. It, it was uh, for, for him to recognize as an apostle that one day everything he'd ever done would be laid bare before the judgment seat of Jesus was sobering. I love 1 Corinthians um, 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. I think it like fleshes this out a little bit more. It says this, If anyone builds on the foundation... So the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest on that day. That day will disclose it. So, so when we get to the judgment day, it will be made clear. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If that work that anyone has built on the foundation of Jesus survives, he'll receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. This is one of those passages that is a little bit of mystery. But the, 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 the purpose in it is clear, even if there's some mystery. And it's this. It's that what we do in our body is eternal. Eternal. It has eternal significance. We're not saved. And here, here's the other part. We're not saved to lives of indifference, lives that don't matter. The beauty in this text is that, that we are saved to lives that can display the glory of God in everything that they do. That's a beautiful, the, the lives that we have, they can, through our devotion, can display the glory of God in everything that we do. So that's the third thing that Paul says, that the confident hope in a future resurrection does for us as Christians, it, it, it can actually transform our devotion completely. So how does confidence in the resurrection life impact us here and now? It transforms our desires, it transforms our disposition, and it transforms our devotion. This is, this is what Paul is getting at when he says swallowed up by life, right? Um, I want to give you um, just two quick examples um, of how um, I've been thinking about this as like, a, as, as as we're beginning to return to normal in our family. Where are places where I've I've found myself swallowed up by life? Um, and I, I think I think it's helpful because the, the return to normal, which we're close to, we're getting there. Um, we want to get back to our lives, and there's a lot of good, thoughtful, purposeful things that we've been doing as a family. But then there are there are um, there's something more at the same time, right? There's a there's a life that God is, is inviting us into. Um, 
the first place that we've seen this is, you know, just, just the desire to return back to the normal flurry of activities that we knew before the pandemic started. Uh, thinking about the people that we haven't seen, the stuff that we haven't done. Um, and those are really good things. Like, those are really, really good things. Um, but um, Sue and I had a chance to spend some time with a, a counselor named Adam Young uh, a, a couple months ago. And um, he, he worked through this uh, seminar with us on rupture and repair. And basically, it was just a time to reflect as a family on what are the things that had actually happened in our relationships over the last year and to find where are there little cracks or chasms that like we, we need to maybe address and, and how do we in the gospel, right, how do we start to move towards repair with one another? And it was, uh, I, I didn't want anything to do with it, to be honest, because I was like, that sounds like a lot of work. And, <laughs> um, and we had all, we were already kind of spent emotionally at that point, but it was like a breath of just fresh life uh, in, our, in our marriage and in our family. Um, because the, the phrase I remember from that that just sticks out to me was, was this. He said, uh, there is a power pulsing through your home that can heal any wound that you've experienced in the last year. And I just, I was just listening and I just started crying, <laughs> you know, just like realizing, okay, it's, this is bypassing my mind going straight to my heart. I'm just, I'm feeling something right now. And I realized that, yeah, there was, that there was, there was a part of me that didn't really believe that in that moment. Um, and so it was, it was so life-giving just, it gave us that hope and courage as family to, to, to jump in and go, okay, what are the things from the last year that we really want to try to address together? I, I tell you this for this reason. We're actually, I'm actually bringing Adam two-third next Saturday for a Zoom engagement, two hours. Um, and so um, I want to really encourage you guys. Like, it's wide open to anybody. And so he's going to go over the same stuff that he went through with us on Rupture and Repair there for, uh, it's like five bucks, and you can, um, you can sign up by Wednesday. Um, please, please, 10 to 12 next Saturday, just come and listen and, and be blessed. I think it's a good way to, to be able to, to reflect spiritually as we start to head into kind of the new normal. Um, the second one is this. I, I, it's a good friend um, uh, bought a home last week. And um, uh, I saw, I went over uh, to, to visit them and to do about an hour, but just to do what you do and somebody buys a new house, you know, can you bring a little gift? You welcome them. Um, and, um, and it was great. Um, and there it's, it's a great house, but I, I really didn't go over there just to meet with Jason. Um, and to see his, like his new floors and the garden in the back or, um, their nice kitchen, which I'm a little jealous of. Um, what we did was we sat in the back and, and his daughter, Grace played with Fisher and Jeremiah. And the real reason that I was there is because they just moved into a new neighborhood and we dreamed together about how the kingdom of God might just spill out from their house into the street, into the houses in the neighborhood around them. So we started talking about the neighbors that he'd met and started praying for them and just started dreaming together of, of life, of the life of their family and the life of that neighborhood getting swallowed up in the life of God. I'm a pastor. I care about that stuff, right? <laughs> but as I was driving on the way home, I realized... I mean, that's just how fragile uh, time coming out of the pandemic can be and, and how easy it is to think for us about ourselves and to, and to think that, um, oh, well, you know, we're going to try to recover. Then like, we'll do mission later, <laughs> you know? And what I loved about Jason's life was it was such a challenge to me that, no, actually, Derek, you know, right now, like you can think about how the life of your family 
and the life of your neighborhood can get swallowed up by the life of God. Those are two two ways. I could have just we could have just had a normal 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 house visit. Glad you got a house, but instead we were able to participate in some dreaming about the kingdom. Um, so I, I don't know where I don't know where you are today in your struggle this uh, evening. I, but I know this: you need to be swallowed up by God's life. Amen. We need to be swallowed up by God's life. And so I just want to encourage you, whether it's um, later as we uh, as we pray, maybe on the way home or with a friend later this week, I want to encourage you to, to try to name this week the specific way that you long for resurrection life. What are the relationships? What are the experiences? What are the situations? Where, where you know that you need what is mortal to be swallowed up in, in the life of God. I'm gonna I'm gonna close with one 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 story and then um, and then I'll pray for us. Uh, so six months after my mom died, I was 19 years old when my mother died. Six months after she died, I found an old box of my wrestling tapes. And as I watched them, I came across a video of the most important wrestling match the history of Riverside High School in Durham, North Carolina at that time. Uh, it was us against Orange High School, and um, I was a Division One wrestler. Uh, I don't look like it anymore, but I was, I promise. Um, and so wrestling was my life in high school. And so this match was close. It came up uh, close to uh, my weight class, and it was tied. Uh, and my coach comes up to me and goes, Derek, I need you to go up to 189. I weighed 159 at the time. Um, and waiting for me at 189 was another state champion. And not just any state champion, in a twist of fate, when I was in sixth grade and started wrestling for the first time, this guy beat the crap out of me. <laughs> in, the, in that first year, he pinned me twice and beat me 15 to nothing. And we'd never wrestled again. We'd never, you know, so we're kind of we're distant friends. Um, and so, of course, I said, yes, oh, yes, yes, I'll go up to 189. And um, it was a close match. Uh, it was really tight. Uh, but at the beginning of the second period, he made a mistake, and, um, and I caught him. And over the next 10 seconds, slowly pressed those shoulder blades to the mat for a pin. And um, I'm watching this video because my mom had taken video, and, and um, the whole gym just explodes. And then I hear my mom yell, Derek, you are awesome, man. You are awesome. Now, now here's, here's the thing. I had never heard my mother ever say anything like that to me in, in my life. And here, six months after she died, I come across this tape of her saying, you are awesome, man. You are awesome. Why am I telling you this story? What do you think Jesus is doing in his body right now? What do you think he's doing in his body right now? This is a question, uh, there's a book called Lowly and Gently, and the author asked this. And, and this is what his answer is. He is saying, you are awesome, man. You are awesome. Jesus is the first fruit of the new creation. He is the older brother who is cheering us on, and every cheer is an invitation for us to allow this mortal life to be swallowed up in the life of the triune God of grace. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you. And we thank you uh, for Jesus, the firstborn of the new creation, our older brother, our Savior, and our friend.
I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. I pray for our family. That the truths of this text would, would, would seep deep into our souls. Lord, that you would help us to be confident in the resurrection life to come. That you would transform the longings of my heart. That you would root us in a disposition of hope. God, that you would, you would change our devotion, the whole life of worship would be consumed with, with glory and glorifying you. I want to pray that as we, knowing that our bodies matter, that you would free us from shame, you would free us from condemnation, that you would free us from guilt, and that we would leave here in the hope of the gospel that, that even our lives might be swallowed up by the life of God. Amen.